build a very basic version, which you know, we're so glad that we did because it provided us that tangible data that investors are looking for, rather than us being like, the kids at the school have said this is a great idea. Hello, and welcome to the Female Foundry 3.0 podcast. On this podcast, we share engaging and inspiring stories from female entrepreneurs, investors, and innovators that are shaping the Web 3.0 future. Tune in. Here is our host, investor, serial entrepreneur, and technology enthusiast, Agata Norica. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm speaking with Jas Shambri and Joe Goodall, the co-founders of Luna. Jas and Joe have recently raised a £600 round from multiple angel investors and were featured in the week number 46 of the Female Foundry newsletter. Hello, Justin Joe. Hi. Let's start by getting to know you better. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, happy to. Joe and Jazz, we're the co-founders of Luna. We actually met on our MBA. So we went to do our MBA at Oxford Said Business School back in 2020. Previous to that, we actually both worked as management consultant, both at Deloitte and actually at the same time as well. Although our paths never crossed and it wasn't until the MBA, which is when we met in September 2020 and the idea for Luna was born. That's really, really cool. The fact that you didn't know each other. Yeah. And we worked in the same building. So crazy how we never met. That's funny. As you've already mentioned, Luna was born in your MBA class. With all the post-MBA options available, at which point in time did you realize that entrepreneurship was the path that you wanted to pursue? It's a, it's a great question, especially because many people go to the MBA, you know, wanting to sort of double or triple their salaries and you get these senior suite, C-suite roles. And Joe and I have opted for a life of teenagers and um, equity, at least for the, the next year or or so. Um, but I think really there's two key things. The first was um, the idea for Luna, as Joe said, originated from business school, but specifically from the module known as entrepreneurial project, where you come up with an idea with your classmates, you know, you create the pitch for it, and then you have to pitch it to real investors. Um, and we did exactly that with a team of five women, international women from across the world. We pitched the idea for Luna to real investors. Um, and it was them who turned around and said, this is actually a, a really good idea. You know, we see hundreds of pitch decks a week, but we've never seen something like this. So who's doing it after the MBA? And that really planted the seed for both Joe and I. And I guess the sort of second push was was really when sort of Joe came to me and said, look, I think there's potentially something in this. You know, why don't we explore it a bit further? You know, you don't go into venture capital jazz, which is what you wanted to do. And and we try it for a year. And I said, OK, well, I'm not 100% sure about this. Can we go and do some testing? Let's just go and speak to some teenagers. Um, so we did exactly that. We we went back to our old schools and to a couple of schools um, where we knew teachers who were friends. And we just talked to them about our, our idea and told them, you know, what do you use today, et cetera, et cetera. And we were left inundated with with messages and questions of where can I download this app? Can I come do work experience? Can I come help you code the app? And we thought, gosh, we haven't even incorporated yet. Um, so that then made us realize, wow, there really is no one doing anything in this space. There is an opportunity. You know, if investors are telling us to do it and the users, then we'd be silly not to. And perhaps in a few years, we look back and, and see someone else doing it. So I think those are really the two, the two big factors. Yeah, it's very interesting. And when did the module that you just described actually happen? Um, was it at the beginning or at the end of your MBA? Yeah, so we pitched the idea in May and then in the summer I was interning at Venture Capital Fund. That's sort of when we went and spoke to lots of teenagers and went back to the schools 
and we graduated and finished the course in October. So it was sort of the end of summer where we were like, okay, right, do you know what? I'm not going to go into VC. Joe's not going to call of her sort of corporate search. Yeah, so I guess it was a, what, a four month period of testing and thinking and talking to our families about it. Are you going to be able to support us and help us? So yeah, that was really the time frame. Mm-hmm. Let's now move to Luna. What are some of the challenges that teenagers face and that you're helping them with at Luna? Uh, it's a great question. And there's lots, as we've found, as we've been going through this whole journey, really, um, and speaking to the teens. And I think for us, the idea came from our general lack of education to do with our bodies and our health and our well-being and as 30 year old women and in our late 20s at the time we were just left thinking like why does nobody teach you about this when you know you first get your first period or you first experience different symptoms in our experience we found that you can often be sort of just brushed aside and said don't worry about it you'll grow out of it or it'll go away or don't cause a fuss essentially Mm. and um, we realized that the education is not quite there to support teens as, as much being you know in our 30s actually the curriculum is very much still the same as what we had when we were at school sort of 15 years ago which is crazy to think because teens now have access to the internet at their fingertips, which we didn't when we were at school. We didn't have a smartphone, but now they're in the playground. They have smartphones which have Instagram and TikTok. So they're being exposed to multiples of things from very dangerous advice that they're being given by people on TikTok, which is completely inaccurate but also just the pressures of social media they're seeing often very filtered photos very staged photos and everyone looks to be doing so well and like there's a whole culture of being perfect and not having achieved you know you have very young influencers who have achieved so much in terms of status and fame and money and actually to 12 year old that's that why haven't I not done that I'm not good enough so there's very much pressures in terms of just from being a teen in a digital age in terms of like social media and body image and perfectionism and everything to do with school but also just not understanding their bodies and not actually knowing the basics of what is a period what are the different hormones how do they affect me why do I feel rubbish one day but the next day I feel amazing like it's just that level of education it just isn't there and so turning to sources like TikTok and Instagram and all sorts on Google is left with these teens feeling very stressed, very anxious. You know, we see a lot more mental health cases now because of this. And um, they're left just on their own to kind of deal with it when actually that's when they need the support the most. Yes, definitely. I can see that. And so how do you help teenagers with those challenges at Luna? Yeah, I think the first is all content that is created in app is created by experts in their field. So um, unlike where they're going today and they don't know who's creating this content, they can know that everything they're reading and watching and listening to is expert curated and all geared up to the way that they like to learn and to the topics that they're most interested in hearing about. So we're giving them the content they want in a format they like and created by people they know that they can trust. The second thing is that a safe community and a positive space. So going back to what Joe said around anxiety and mental health, you don't have much control when you're on these social media channels. The algorithm just pushes you content based on what you've searched or what you've looked at previously. We have complete control of what's shown in Luna. It is not an open community in the sense that anybody can talk to each other or post freely. Everything goes via Luna and Luna pushes everything out. So we're a safe and positive space and we want to continue 
to be doing that. We let other people see what others are asking. So whilst questions are anonymous, what we do is we post them back to the app. So say you've asked a question, Agatha, um, we'll post it back for somebody else to see who might be feeling the same thing, but might not want to ask it. So I think that sense of community, but also knowing that you're normal, that's yeah. stress reliever. And then the last thing in all of this is being anonymous. Unfortunately, like talking about periods, skin care, you know, anxiety um, at a younger age can still be taboo. It can be awkward. It can be embarrassing. And not everybody has a parent or a guardian that they might want to talk about this stuff with. It being anonymous and accessible is, is, is another way that we're helping them through this period of life. Yes, definitely. And it's interesting because schools cannot really play the role that you describe. It's exactly that. And the other thing is, you know, you might get a lesson once about it. You know, what if you need access to that information weeks later or months later or a year later? So it's that on-demand support as well, above and beyond that sort of one class or two classes that you might get. Yes. So you've mentioned that your early testing was done with schools. Could you tell us more about how you envision the engagement with teenagers evolve over time as you scale? Yeah, and we did work with schools mainly because they house loads of teenagers, but also because schools also understand the need for a service. As I mentioned before, when we went to these schools and we were getting these follow up messages, we decided to actually capitalise on that and create our sort of core user group. They've self-named themselves the Luminaries. There's now sort of 250 of them. And they are basically like our day one users. Shout out to any Luminaries if you are listening. But they're in a private Instagram group where they get to pick the features. They get to comment on the features. They commented on our branding. They basically keep us true to what it's like to be a team today. And they basically have really helped us build the app from day one. And we picked them up from um, different schools that we visited across the country and they represent different backgrounds and age groups. So I think that, yes, going into schools is one thing and, and, and talking about it, but then like finding these sort of core users has, has been brilliant. And then in terms of sort of scaling that and reaching more teams, well, yeah, these luminaries have been brilliant in terms of like being our brand ambassadors across their schools, but also referring their friends they work very closely with our social media leads to tell us what's trending on TikTok. So what we'll know is that everybody's TikTok's different. What I see is very different to what you'll be seeing, which is incredibly different to what teens are seeing. So, you know, they tell us what's trending so we can put out relevant content, telling us what brands we should be partnering with and, you know, how we should be advertising and marketing. So, yeah, in terms of growing, it'll be leaning into our community, capitalizing on social media. We've, we've been doing a lot of hustling on the street. So we've been going out there in London and flyering and getting the QR codes out there. And then we've got a couple of um, other smart strategies we're going to be implementing in 2023, but I'm not going to give it all away. But I would say... Follow and stay tuned um, for some some cool lunar marketing techniques that are about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a lot about teenagers up to this point. Could you describe them for us? Who is your target group? We're primarily targeting 11 to 18 year old menstruators. What the data has shown us is that there are actually people above and beyond that age group who also want to use our app, but that is our primary audience. Mm -hmm. um, but above and beyond that, we also okay. have to make sure parents are somewhat kept in the loop because typically as an 11 to 18 year old, you do live in your parents or guardians household. So they're almost like um, sec a secondary audience that we need to make sure we're appeasing and, and, and reaching out to as well. But yeah, that is our primary audience. They are represented by our early users and they are all marketing efforts are, are being targeted at right now. Yes, it makes sense. 
I want to move to your app. Despite being non-technical founders, you managed to launch an early version of your app before even you started speaking to investors. Could you tell us more about that? Yes, correct. Neither of us are technical at all. Um, although I'm, I'm learning slowly day by day as I work with the, the tech team we have now. Um, but essentially, it was yeah Christmas last year where we kind of done all of this testing. We'd realized that there was a genuine need for this product, but we then really wanted to go to the next level and kind of get it in their hands and have it tested with a group of 100 or 200 or so users. And yeah, we went out to some agencies and obviously they told us they could build it for us, but it was going to um, require a load of cash, which we didn't have. Um, we'd won a grant, but it was not loads and equity as well, which obviously we weren't also kind of keen to give away. And so basically over Christmas, I, I had COVID, so I didn't really go anywhere, but I learned a lot on YouTube and um, I learned how to use a no code slash low code tool to basically build a very basic version. And meanwhile, Jazz was out um, on Twitter, putting call outs um, to medical students and junior doctors um, to anyone who wanted to help us essentially create the content. So between us, I was trying to build the sort of bare bones of a working app in a very low code way. And Jazz was creating content with these brilliant junior doctors and medical students who just really got behind the mission and wanted to help. And so at Christmas was you know where we were kind of learning about how we were going to do this. And then in January, all of January and into February, so basically about six weeks then, was just spent just YouTube, reading, going on blogs, trying to sort of build a very basic version, which we did. And so, you know, we're so glad that we did because it provided us that tangible data that investors are looking for rather than us being like the kids at the school have said this is a great idea. Yeah. We can actually go and say they've said it is a great idea. And actually, they are using a pretty rubbish looking app and they're engaging with it. And they're asking questions. And it was the same doctors who helped us create the content would then answer the questions that we got through. And we ran the app, um, you know, as a very closed private beta for quite a few weeks before we then took that data out to investors and said, look, give us some money and then we can at least go and hire some UX people who can make it look brilliant. We can hire an actual tech team who know how to build apps and, you know, have a, a beautiful working app. So yeah, that that's how we did it really. And it was glad we did. Brilliant. And how many therefore people managed to use your, uh, your, your app uh, before you spoke with the investors? Um, we got 100 um, in the end using it for about six weeks. And again, these were the ones that we kind of early adopters from the school that were interested in, in being part of it. And they just gave us brilliant feedback. We would send them like feedback questionnaires every week. They'd all fill it in. We'd do some interviews with them. They were really engaged in the whole process, which made our lives a lot easier. Yes, very cool. I want to talk about your fundraising round. You recently raised a £600,000 round, mainly from Android investors. Can you tell us how you found those investors and what the process of engagement with them looked like? Yeah, so it took us two months to close the round and that's not including pitch deck preparation or financial model preparation. I would say that was at least another four to six weeks of preparation and iteration. And then obviously when we started pitching, that it continued to iterate as we learned more. So from the day we said, yeah, okay, we're officially with fundraising to we hit our goal. It was about two months. In terms of how we went about finding 
investors. It first started off with us cold calling a lot of angels. So using different lists that we'd seen on Sifted and targeting these angels. So looking at who'd invested in women's health before or similar similar products, making a short list and then curating very personalized emails. And I think I sent over, I think it was 212 in the end, it was definitely over 200. And I didn't, we didn't get a, a very big response being completely honest from that. So that is how we went about going after angels. But then once we did manage to land one angel, they introduced, started to introduce us to other people and that started to get the ball rolling so that was sort of one method and then the other method was actually leaning into our existing network which we hadn't really considered but we were forced to consider when we hadn't made much traction in that first month and we then sort of looked in our personal sort of network to say okay well who has worked with us before who might back us and our work ethic and our vision and our ideas. And so we went to previous bosses to see if they would be willing to come into the round. And then they were willing and it that really got the ball rolling because then we were able to resend emails and say, look, you know, 50% of the round is now full. It showed momentum. It showed there was interest. And then we were able to obviously land Octopus Ventures, which was great. So their first check fund came in and it started to snowball. So the first month, being completely honest, it was hard. It was a graft. And I think it was Easter weekend where we were like, this is not working. Like we need to do something about this. And yeah, we, we pivoted. So the, the second month was then the ball was rolling. People were then introducing us people. And um, then other founders we started to meet, said, oh, meet my angels. I can make an introduction to you. So yeah, it was really a mix of strategies. So when you created that momentum, did you go through any evaluation process? Uh, how did you choose the angels that you wanted to work with uh, during your fundraising process? Yeah, I'll I'll be completely transparent. There weren't any angels that we passed on because we were quite targeted at the start in terms of who we were reaching out to. We did our best like not to email people who we knew we wouldn't really have a chance with. Now moving, we have met a lot of investors who we got very turned off with um, through the process just because of um, you know certain things that may have happened or perhaps we just didn't feel there was a match with them and I think we wouldn't take a check from them moving forward but I think the reality is when you're raising your first round when you're pre-MVP when you haven't got a technical founder and when you're doing something in a space which nobody slash no one is really doing you take the cash that you can get and I will say now every single one of our investors is incredible so we either lucked out or we would we targeted the right ones or just those who genuinely believed in our mission and, and liked us backed us so we haven't got a bad investor in our in our books we're really proud and that's why I wrote that article listing them all out because they are all just brilliant to shout about that's amazing that definitely positions you very well at least from a support perspective for the next round so building on that what are some of the learnings you will be taking with you that came out of this fundraising journey for the next round Yes, I'll I'll say two and then I don't know if Joe wants to hop in. I think the first thing to say is we were quite lucky we raised before it started to get a lot harder. So we finished in in May. And so I think had we raised a bit, you know, in the later half of the year, it could have been a different story. I think in terms of lessons learned, I would definitely continue to be targeted and even more targeted now, knowing now having had more experience talking to investors. So I I don't think we would take 
calls with investors we didn't really get a good um, vibe from or equally if we know they just don't invest in our ticket size or our range or our, our area I think now we're building we're in growth mode your time is sort of so limited so I think yeah continue to be targeted only take calls with investors where you know this could go somewhere and then I, I think I would again sort of time frame it so Joe and I said we are going to close on this date like no matter what happens because you know we we can't just keep continuing to raise and not build so I think it would be great again if we can sort of time box it because raising just takes so much out of you and you just want to get it done really and then just move on to build I would say in terms of taking things into the next round like learnings that we'd have um more around the sort of data side of things because obviously we have an awful lot more data now we've had you know 600k which we're spending you know so investors will want to know how we've spent it where we've spent it previous to our before we went out the pre-seed rounds we'd won a grant of twenty thousand pounds and that had kind of seen us through and obviously we'd kept a detailed record of how we'd spent it but it's not in any way the kind of ballpark of 600k and i think having a clear data room of this is how we've spent the money. So, you know, investors can see that we are, you know, we're thinking about where we're spending our money. We're not just sort of, oh, let's spend it here or throw it there kind of thing, but also having a really clear budget for how we will then spend the next raise, which we did have, you know, for our uh, 600 pre-seed, but it was quite high level. And now that we know exactly how much things cost, like how much does it cost to run the app every month? How much does it cost to acquire users, et cetera? Um, we'll be able to like put together a really solid data room in that sense. Yes, this can be particularly helpful in the current market conditions where investors take a closer look at both financials and time to profitability in metrics. So what's next for Luna and what are your plans when it comes to this round? How are you planning to deploy the capital? And also what's your view for the future? The capital we raised enabled us to build our MVP and launch on the App Store, which we've just done, but it will also enable us to keep enhancing the app. So we've got um, a backlog of product features and things that we want to launch. And so the cash will enable us to keep building and creating an app that these users love, but also to keep creating content that they want as well. And then above and beyond that, it's growth really. So we've got something out there and it's how do we now get it into the hands of as many teams across the UK it's possible and then we raise again and we take Luna Global and so yeah that's that's the plan. <laughs> I was about to ask the question about the vision but you've already answered it. <laughs> that is exactly it to see Luna in the hands of millions of teens across the world because there are teens across the world who experience the same things they all go through you know puberty and adolescence they'll all have changes that they'll want to understand about themselves and have a safe positive space to do so so yeah, you know, next year we have plans for UK growth, but there's nothing stopping us going over to the pond to US, Canada, throughout Europe, and then, you know, Australia, here we come. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I'm looking forward to see it all happen. <laughs> That's yes. what I want to say. <laughs> thank you so much for this chat and best wishes for the future. No, no thank you. Thank you, Agatha. Do you know a female founder, a builder, or an investor with a great story to share? Get in touch at 3.0 at femalefoundry.co. Thanks for listening.